Series 22 Long Flims About or Otherwise Tangentially Related to Springfield. Yes, that's what we call ourselves. A subsidiary podcast of Eat My Shorts, a subsidiary podcast of Pods in the Key I, of Springfield. I don't think we're a subsidiary of Eat My Shorts, are we? I think this is just a direct spin-off from Pods in the Key of Springfield. I like the way that you say, we're not a subsidiary of Eat My Shorts, as though you and I, <laughs> in our 22 Long Flims About or Otherwise Tangentially Related to, that they are different... Nick and James to the Nick and James that do eat my shorts. Well, these are different which gigs. Are, we have to adopt slightly different personas which, each time. Which also implies that we are different people to the Nick and James that hosts Pods in the Key of Springfield. Well, the version of me that hosts 22 long flims about or otherwise tangentially related to Springfield has a very different backstory to the oh, really? James that hosts Pods in the Key of Springfield. It's, I don't want to spoil it. It'll come out over the 22 episodes. Wait, is, uh, is there going to be a situation where one day we do an origin story episode for our various characters? Well, look, since the orphanage burned down, you know, I've had to, I've had it pretty hard. <laughs> hey, maybe... Yeah, I know. I mean, you got, you got jailed for burning down the orphanage. Um, <laughs> maybe... Because uh, you've hinted that the idea before of writing a Simpsons episode that you and I act out. Yep. Maybe that can involve the origin stories of the three sets of... Nick and James. That's a possibility. Is the the I don't know if I want to insert us into that script. Is the Love the Beast Nick and James? Is that separate again? And what about the Christmas holiday special? Love the Beast is a non-canon episode of Buzz and the Gear Springfield. Non-canon. Doesn't fit within the chronology that we've established as a I see. I see. Uh, for and any new listeners, please ignore everything we've just said. And and the, the Christmas episode is also non-canon then, I'm guessing? Uh well I feel like that is that's like the behind the music episode of uh, behind the, the Springfield. Yeah, yeah, I, I see, I see. Okay. Uh, what is this episode? What are we doing oh, today, Nick? In this episode, we are going to watch your uh, digital versatile disc copy yes. of um, Citizen Kane. Thank you for correctly identifying what DVD stands for. I actually, fuck, I didn't think I was going to do this speech today. <laughs> I have a feeling that somewhere in the mid two thousands. DVD stopped being officially recognised as an initialization, and it is now a word. Yeah. But, as in, I don't mean just in the way people use it, I mean that DVD no longer stands for Digital Versatile Disc. It's just a word in and of itself. It is a standalone word, which yeah. means... Well, that's typically what happens with words like this. This is why we, yeah, I've, but, I've but, talked about this in the English classes that I teach. But CD still stands for Compact Disc. CD is not recognised as its own word, which no longer stands for the initialization. Mm, I don't know about that. But if, if you look up a dictionary, I've got one down there. If you look up a dictionary for CD, won't it say initialization of compact disc? I feel like you could say, like, I've got a CD up this... I, I don't know. I feel like I feel like it's the same thing. I'm not talking about the usage. I'm talking about the definition of it. 
Because I agree that it, as far as usage goes, it's exactly the same. You, yeah. you use CD okay, okay. as a word. But I, I seem to remember there was something that happened with DVD where according to whoever fucking runs these terms, it stopped being an initialization and started being its own word. Is this because the the DVD market got fractured into DVD, Blu-ray, HD, DVD, 4K? Yeah, possibly. Possibly. What about... Oh, I was about to say, what about HD, DVD, but you already said that. Yeah. What was the other one? Beta disc. <laughs> uh, the, thing, the thing I like about beta disc is that you can... Uh, the pause quality is better. <laughs> Man, I always love whenever you whenever you talk to a real fucking nerd about beta versus VHS, and one of the things that inevitably gets mentioned is, oh, and the beta pause screen doesn't wobble like a VHS pause screen, and I just don't know why that's important to anyone. So uh, this has been an episode of Half Remembered Disc Discussions. <laughs> Half Remembered Disc. Yeah. Uh, HR Disc Discussions. So this is this is the the thing where we watch movies that we know heavily inspired The Simpsons, and then we talk about them. Typically, there'll be movies that I've seen. Nick hasn't because I'm a movie guy. And Nick hates content, and yes. uh, we we have a bit of a chat. Yeah, and so this is the chat where um, so obviously the last one of these we did was The Shining at yep. the end of season three. Yep. And now we're at the end of season four, and we're doing this. Yep. And that episode was quite popular. So let's hope that this one also quite also popular. quite popular. Uh, so what we like to do is before we watch the movie because we're going to do that in a few minutes from now but before we watch it you like to uh, get an idea of my understanding of Citizen Kane yeah Citizen Kane is the movie Citizen Kane I don't think we've explicitly lined that up yet we may have (laughs) Citizen Kane so my understanding of it is um well, should I just, I'll, I'll just I'll say a few things and then you can say I can extrapolate. You, I can yeah, extrapolate. So this movie came out in 1941. It was uh, this is by Orson Welles. He was 26, I believe, when this movie came out. So when you say by, do you mean he wrote it? He wrote, directed, and starred in it. Wrote, directed, and starred in it. I'm pretty sure he wrote it. A bit egotistical, if you ask me. <laughs> he produced it as well. Right. Yeah, screenplay by him and Herman J. Mankiewicz. Mankiewicz. Uh, yeah, I think that's how that name would be pronounced. It was uh, distributed by RKO Radio Pictures. And there's a whole interesting backstory there about how Citizen Kane was not actually very successful when it released. It kind of tanked, it nearly tanked RKO, but then they were saved by the release of the movie Cat People, which uh, See, was a huge success. That's really interesting to me, because if you had said to me, Hey Nick, Citizen Kane, Cat People... Which one saves the studio and which one tanks the studio? I guarantee you I would have tagged Cat People as the tanker. Cat People. Cat People. Jesus Christ. Which I believe David Bowie wrote a song with the same name eventually. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. See these eyes so green. I can stare for a thousand years. Putting out fires with gasoline. Yeah, yeah it's a good song. Hmm. <laughs> sure sorry I'm wondering which angle it take I was gonna go with like do I make fun of cat people and say that I would have preferred the movie dog people do I then talk about the difference between men and women like <laughs> what and- other differences between men and women as you see them <laughs> <laughs> we'll see men drive like this yeah this is part of your new stand up set men be like <laughs> dot 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 yes yeah 
Uh, uh, that, n- none of that's true, by the way. <laughs> no. <laughs> just, just in case. Because every, yeah. every now and then I am, I've, I've mentioned this before, but every now and then I am very worried about the version of me that I yeah. put out in this podcast. To be and, very clear, you do identify as a feminist. It's, I do identify as yeah, a feminist. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah, so Orson Welles, he did this. It was, I think it won at least one Academy Award, but, you know, didn't go over that well. Which one's the Academy? Is that the Oscar? Yeah. Yeah, right. And then it's generally, like, I think it was top of the AFI list oh, for, you mean, forever. You mean the the glam punk band AFI? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, excellent. But I think, I think it was Vertigo overtook it at some point. That's this not is, one of their albums. Again, this is me half-remembering. This is another episode of Half-Remember Disc uh, so, details. So you're saying at some point uh, U2's Vertigo overtook AFI's Girls Not Grey? Is that what I'm understanding? Nick, Nick. Yes. Hello, hello. Oh, God. <laughs> This song's called Vertigo. <laughs> it's a song about Vertigo. Cause you give me something like Vertigo. <laughs> oh, I like the end bit. That's one of David Bowie's better songs. <laughs> Vertigo, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how that song goes, right? Yeah. The one about I, Vertigo? Yeah, the one, yeah, yeah. The Vertigo, the song that sounds almost exactly like Elevation. <laughs> the other song of the, like it's one of those things where if you Ver- if you yeah. s- go <laughs> if you start singing Vertigo, you will more often than not end up singing Elevation. I noticed the other day. Well, Elevation gives you Vertigo, oh, so that makes sense. It's like a part one, part two. Yeah. I noticed the other day. Uh, it may have been on this podcast actually that I started. I, I made a reference to um, uh, Scatman. <laughs> and then it went into Taxman by the Beatles because I'm the Scat Man. Hey, I'm the Scat Man. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts on the album Achtung Baby? <laughs> oh, is that the one that came out in 1966? <laughs> Good. Thank you. So, Citizen Kane, then. Uh, what is your understanding of Citizen Kane? What do you think Citizen Kane is about? Okay, so the only thing that I associate with Citizen Kane is I think it's the cover art that you sent me this morning when you found the DVD, um, uh, which is like a guy on a podium in front of an enormous picture of himself. Yeah. This makes me concerned that it's going to be like an allegory for the rise of a horrible dictator. (laughs) I have a feeling that Kane may be a citizen who becomes the alpha citizen. And I think it's all going to be a Hitler allegory, basically. Ah, uh, that's very wrong. <laughs> that's, uh, <laughs> me? Wrong about a film? Who'd have thought? Unless there's some... Look, to, to clarify, it's been a very long time since I've seen Citizen Kane. Uh, last time I watched it was in 2006. Yeah, right. As part of a film studies topic I was taking... I came out and saying, well, that was the best thing. I see. So I'm going to go and buy it on DVD, baby. So I went and bought the DVD, haven't watched it since. Um, my my dishwasher is making an appearance. It's it's draining yeah. and it's I think it's coming through the headlines. Yeah, that's so. Orson Welles returning to uh, oh, no. wreak his terrible vengeance on what we're about to say. Uh, Orson Welles, strangely, despite having been dead for quite a while now, <laughs> actually has a new movie coming out on Netflix in November. Who's his agent? Tupac's mum? Sure. The movie is called The Other Side of the Wind, and it was an incomplete film from the, I want to say the 70s. I really should have looked into this more specifically before saying all of these things, but it's releasing November 2nd on Netflix. This works out pretty 
good timing for us because how this is, will drop late October, I think. How is Orson Welles releasing a new... I'm, I, I'm, well, they basically finished it for him somehow oh, or another. Oh, yeah, okay. I don't know exactly what the process was. I believe it, it was at the Venice International Film Festival, reviewed fairly mm. well. Uh, mm. Ooh, people seem to have liked what they have seen. So I really hope that we actually find out that the reason it took so long is because his, uh, his various parts of his family were having a legal argument through his estate about how this movie was to be made and then we get a documentary about it and it's called War of the Wells. Oh. He did War of the Wells, didn't he? Uh, I th- yeah, I think he was. He at least... He did the radio he did, play, He did, I the, think. did yeah. the radio play. Yeah. yeah, there we go. I was making yeah. a War of the Worlds joke. War yeah. of the Wells. Yeah. Wells, and, Wells, Wells. And a lot of people had a hard time with it. Didn't go over very well. Oh, all's worlds that Orson Wells. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if um I don't know if the production of this new one has involved uh, his daughter in any way or son. Oh, that's good. Don't that's, know if he had any kids. Uh, that's good though. Yeah. Um, oh, is there anything else? Anything else? No, we should probably watch the movie and then talk about it after that. Anything else in this wells of content? <laughs> I feel like we've oversalted the fries at this point. Should we watch it again? <laughs> oversalted the fries. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, dear listeners, this is the last time that you will hear my voice. In a pre-Citizen Kane world. Yes. Unless you pause this and go back to listen to some other episodes. But, I mean, why would you do that? You're already in the middle of this one. Yeah, exactly. Don't, don't, yeah. don't fuck I mean, with go, the form. I mean, download them. We could do it the numbers, but... Uh, oh, yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, if it would be really nice if you could go through the list on the, your podcast app of choice and just honk that little down arrow just on everyone. And maybe subscribe to our podcast because I recently found out that subscribing to podcasts matters a lot more than I thought it did. So, you know, click mm. that, slam on that subscribe button on iTunes. I prefer honk rather than slam. Uh, Citizen Kane, Citizen everyone. Kane. We'll be right back. So, so uh, here we are. We're back from watching Citizen Kane. Yeah, we I were think... in a pre-Kane, we're now in a post-Kane. We were intra-Kane for a while there. And, um, uh, and uh, previously, when we were pre-Kane, you could also say that I was Nova-Kane, because I hadn't had any... No, wait, Nova means new. So I'm now in a Nova-Kane world, because it's yeah, a new Yeah, there Kane. we go. And also, you um, injected a bunch of Nova-Kane into your mouth, so you might have trouble speaking. So much Nova-Kane. <laughs> um, uh, but we are not in a Michael K. world. Um, <laughs> Yeah. So, it, it, I mean, that, that movie went for, what, like nine hours? <laughs> Two hours long. <sighs> okay, so to give a bit of context, we just watched the full film. Uh, we both took quite a few notes. I was intending to only make notes uh, when I spotted something that The Simpsons had directly parodied. But um, just play my hand a little bit. Uh, I think this film is astonishing. <laughs> I'd love it to bits. I don't think Nick feels the same way somehow <laughs> by the fact that he kept sighing and swearing during the film. <laughs> I have to say, the film itself, I think, is is probably fine. <laughs> the bits that I was sighing and swearing at are just um, uh, what I like to think of as 1940s musical theatre tropes, basically. Yeah, sure. Because I think there are there are parts of this film which are very much especially the, the dialogue heavy scenes are very much set as, you know, it's almost like a sta- a, a play that's just being filmed instead of 
uh, you know, where I think mm. I think these days movies are a bit less like plays. They don't play like plays, or maybe that's that uh, filmmaking trend. Sorry, storytelling in film trends have moved mm. on, whereas plays still tend to be more or less the same as what a play. Well, there's also more of a history of filmmaking now to pull techniques yeah. from. And and so like most, because of films like Citizen Kane, but but most of the sighing and swearing for me came from like the uh, the the things that really frustrate me. Like <laughs> if if there's just a crowd scene where everyone's been told to just act busy, yeah, and so you get lots of people going, "Oh, what do you mean?" And it's just a hundred people going, "What do you mean?" And I'm like, "Fuck, just." There are other ways to display this mania rather than just a town full of people all shouting for no reason. And the other trope which drove me fucking bonkers <laughs> is the um, the uh, what I will call the 1940s escalation without notice. So someone will be like, James, what are you doing here? James, what are you doing here? And it's like, <laughs> you need to dial that back by about 50 um, uh, this is this is great. You're just introducing many things that I love <laughs> and find tremendous value and insight in. Uh, what a what a film! Now, one thing I want to say up front, just to frame some of this discussion, because this is nominally a Simpsons podcast. Sure. One thing that hit me right at the end of this uh, this movie, where they're talking about you know trying to summate some of Kane's life. Yeah. Uh, the trajectory of The Simpsons itself has, in some ways, I think, uh, lined up roughly with Kane's life. Uh, in that Kane was a man who sort of got everything and, you know, was very successful. He was at the top of his game. He, you know, defeated all his competitors. And then he just sort of kept going <laughs> forever. That's interesting. Yeah. Kept and, going forever until he died a husk of a man. Yes. <laughs> and that's something... Uh, as we are speaking today, the 30th season of The Simpsons has premiered in the US, and mm. that was just uh, on my mind a bit, just the uh, interesting, the parallels, and not just the numerous parallels within the movie to things that have happened in The Simpsons, particularly mm. in relation to Mr. Burns, who is, in my opinion, the sixth member of The Simpsons. Sure. Uh, God, I, got, I took about six pages of notes. I didn't expect to write anything. A lot of them are like drawings as well, so I'm just going to have to sort of interpret them. You do have some drawings. Okay, one thing thing about this film, one of the the main things that people really love about this film, maybe the major stylistic thing it does is it has what they call deep focus, which was unusual at the time, which basically means every element of the frame is within focus, and it gives this film a tremendous sense of depth yeah. I think it's so purposefully staged and worked into specific scenes. So a lot of them are like drawings of these scenes. Sure. Where I've like identified two or three or four levels of depth and I've yeah. like gotten very nerdy and excited about that. So that, we'll that talk is, through some of this. That is interesting. And you know what I find interesting about that? And I think this is going to be one of those weird areas where you <laughs> and I have a, a strange Venn diagram of our thoughts on deep focus. Excellent. Is that uh, this... Uh, from what I've just learned from you, is that this film is is uh, applauded for its use of deep focus where everything is in focus, yeah. which is the same reason why people hate camera phones, is that <laughs> they, they put everything in focus, and it's only in the last couple of generations that you've started getting depth of field back into camera phones. Yeah, sure. And so I find it interesting that cinematically loved and praised, technologically in your pocket, disliked. <laughs> 
Well, it just allows this film to feel so deep in a way that I think is still uncommon in cinema. There's just so many levels of focus within an individual scene. Yes. Where you actually will have like a foreground, a middle ground, and a background, and there's different and, things yeah. happening in each of them. And they didn't even Fuck, have... I love this movie so much. <laughs> and they didn't even have a Lytro. A Lytro? Lytro was a type of camera about from about six years ago where you could take a photo and then... Um, you could like you could put that photo up on your website or whatever, and people could pull whatever level of focus they wanted out of it to focus on the things that they wanted. So oh, shit. it was like an interactive photo type thing, like okay. just like a Harry Potter photo. <laughs> sure, I assume. Yeah, I, I assume, or like a Dick Van Dyke Mary Poppins chalk painting on the sidewalk. Yeah, foot, I've never seen Mary Poppins. I say footpath because I'm Australian. <laughs> uh, footpath drawing. Okay. Never seen Mary Poppins. Never seen Mary Poppins. Well, we should put that into 22 Flims. I saw the, um, yeah, there's a sequel coming out. I saw the trailer and Dick Van Dyke is in there. And my main reaction was, Dick Van Dyke is still alive? Yeah, I know, wow. right? He's like the Grey's Anatomy of people. Yeah, and he's like dancing on a table. He looks good for his age. I wouldn't go dancing. <laughs> uh, yeah, you don't feel like dancing. Is, the uh, song. is the Burns Mansion modelled on... Xanadu, the Kane Mansion. I think definitely parts of it are, rooms of it are. I yeah. think when they want it to be Xanadu, it is Xanadu. Sure. And I feel like they probably didn't make that decision until season three or four. Yeah. I, I mean, in season two, we've got that that political, the uh, two cars in every garage episode yeah. where we get the Burns rally for governor mm. that is a direct reference to Citizen Kane. And yeah. also, you said the Nuremberg. <laughs> Uh, yeah, trial, was it? I mean, well, uh, no, well, not the trial, but the yeah, the rally. rally yeah. yeah, so the the framing of the the big uh, rally in Citizen Kane uh, reminded me. It may not have been Nuremberg; it may have been one of the other ones. But there was a couple of shots where I'm like, "Oh, this is very similar to archival footage that I saw when I was studying Nazi Germany as part of my history degree." Yeah, um, uh, I have nothing further to say on that. And the opening, the wonderful opening, is directly referenced in that one Simpsons episode, Rosebud, that is largely just Citizen Kane. Yeah. So you've got the no trespassing zone, you've got the, the zoom in, the broken globe. Uh, one thing I was kind of thinking is this is a movie that has been parodied quite often and even like turned into a meme. And I feel like a lot of the parodies and memes... Uh, I know this is not necessarily the purpose of a parody, but they don't really get at what makes this movie so good, which is... Sure. What I'll kind of wank on about today on this, uh, sure. what will eventually be a six-hour episode of Puts in the Gear of Springfield. <laughs> I'm annoyed because I know that you're not lying. <laughs> um, uh, so, at the start, yes, I'm going to talk about one of my favourite lines from early on in the movie. Okay, good. Um, because it starts off with... It's it's revealed to show a it, it's a newsreel about the life of this guy. Yeah. But it takes about five minutes before we find out it's a newsreel, and I on, honestly was sitting there going, "The fuck is this movie format? <laughs> like there are title cards and voiceovers." Uh, and yeah, it was... the opening like ten minutes is an obituary, which I think is fucking beautiful. <laughs> it is. It was a baffling thing, but there was a thing talking about. Uh, this huge mansion that Kane built during his lifetime. Uh, and it said, a private mountain was commissioned and built. <laughs> and I just thought that's a wonderfully weird line. Just outlining his entire life before you delve in deep in the movie. God, I fucking love everything this movie is doing. Mm. It makes me so happy. The transitions between shots. Jesus Christ. Yeah, there was a good transition about the windows. Yeah, where you yeah. see the, the window on the outside. And then... 
without really a fade, we sort of transition to the window from the inside with him in the bed, which is a technique the movie does over and over and mm. over again, sometimes mm. with shot reverse shot repeats. Yes. Like, uh, you know, this movie is like a series of vignettes and quite mm. often you'll get a shot from one angle and then you'll get another scene where it's showing that same shot from like the reverse angle. Yes, 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 yes. <sighs> which, <sighs> which I, uh, I recognize that as a technique. I was really annoyed that one of the scenes that they chose to do the reverse of was the mania before the opera scene because that was another perfect scene where you just had 40 people all yelling saying, <laughs> what's happening over here? And I, it, was, it was doing my head in. <laughs> Uh, I I like the way that you are upset by such specific things in filmmaking. <laughs> you have like a list, like if this happens. Oh, hey, here's a note that I picked up very early on. Something that surprised me. Well, actually, sorry. I'll do something about filmmaking first. The thing about... Sure. Something I found genuinely surprising is the pace of this film. Because mm. it's my general understanding that modern films are typically a hell of a lot faster paced than old stuff right yeah and like you know uh, my my sister used to watch a lot of um hitchcock stuff and if it was on in the room when i was still living at home i was astonished by how little happens in a hitchcock film um this seems fast by my understanding of a modern film pacing it must have been nauseating to anyone who actually saw this when it came out right yeah it, it, it moves at a fair clip and then slows down for long periods as well um, something that caught me off guard is when they talk about the, the building in which the newspaper empire started. We see three guys standing out the front of it, and then one of them glides away on roller skates, <laughs> which is a fucking bizarre little thing to put in your film. <laughs> There's a lot of bizarre little weird things in this yeah, film. Yeah, especially because like, it, was, it wasn't dwelled on. It wasn't part of an intro into the roller skating craze that took over in the 40s. It was just like... Wait a minute, is he on roller skates? Oh, he's gone now. What the fuck? <laughs> uh, one of the one of the early major like Simpsons reference scenes is the one where they discuss sending Charles away oh, to yes. you know live because the uh, the mum's house is on an oil field and the dad is abusive and all of this. And uh, I love that scene of The Simpsons where Mr. Burns goes away and then George Burns is left behind, yes. even though I'm just barely aware of who George Burns is. Mm. Like He comes up in the topic that I teach sometimes. So I'm just seeing like, ah, George Burns, he's that guy from The Simpsons. Mm. And God, that there's a scene in that one where we get the whole like three frames field of depth, not frames, but you know, yes. the... You've got the two parents at the table and the sort of foreground. In the middle ground, you've got the guy who's going to take Charles away. And then you've got a window in the background. And through that window, yeah. you will intermittently see Charles out there playing yep. and shouting the Union Forever, which yes. would later become a White Stripes song huh. that is made entirely up of lines from uh, Citizen Kane. So I would sort of make up little notes every time. Maybe not entirely, but there's, you know... Interesting. You know, they sing "You Can't Be Loved" because there is no true love. That comes up like that comes up later in the film. It, it has the whole song and dance from the fuck. It's, it's a good song. Song and dance from yeah. the fuck. What does that? Why <laughs> yeah, there is a song? man, a certain oh, man. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, it does. Uh, interesting. And then uh, they all sort of move from that front position into what had been the middle space towards the window. Mm. Ah, this this movie is beautiful. What a wonderful piece of cinema. The only thing that has ever mattered. Sure. I mean, it's pretty good. It's, yeah. I guess what I'm arguing that Citizen Kane um. is a good movie. Is maybe not a particularly hot take, and not necessarily a cool position to take. I feel like there's been a move 
there's been a bit of a shift away from you know thinking of this movie in the way that I'm kind of thinking of you know really? kind of it gets pushed aside a little bit like yeah we know Citizen Kane is good shut the fuck up about Citizen Kane uh, which is why I thought doing an entire podcast about it was a good idea I see yeah I didn't know that there was this push against it uh, it's not like a major um, push away but I think I've actually yeah. I've actually written some notes today you have you've got like three pages all the nickheads will be very pleased um, <laughs> Papa. <laughs> Do you think Nick will have anything to say about Citizen Kane? I hear he's got plenty today, son <laughs> um, Well, I wouldn't have thought so, Timmy oh. it's, a, it's a film <laughs> It's a film Papa, is this a miracle? Well, I think it might be, Timmy <laughs> um, uh, Two two things I'm going to say Okay Another quote that I like Because there were a couple of quotes I liked in this Yeah, me too I think this was still from the obituary newsreel Alone in his never-finished, already-decaying pleasure palace <laughs> Man, Wonderful. I sympathise with that. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking hell. Yeah, we both live alone. It's a certain level of... Uh... In a never-finished, already decaying, decaying pleasure palace. My house is certainly decaying. There are a lot of cracks in the wall. Mm. Mm. And um, uh, interesting to see that Charles's dad yes. uh, was being played by a man who I can only assume is John Jarrett from Wolf Creek. <laughs> he did have a John Jarrett. He had a Jarrett vibe to him. A John Jarrett esque vibe. What did Jarrett, John Jarrett got in like really major trouble recently? What did he do? It was some sort of uh, oh a sexual, se- sexual assault allegations. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Fuck you, John Jarrett. Yeah. Because yeah. uh, I, I mean, was he in um, uh, Django Unchained? Don't. Don't think so. Have you seen Django Unchained? I have seen. Django why have Unchained. you seen Django Unchained? Excellent question. <laughs> I mean, I know why I've seen Django Unchained, but that seems like a very non-neck sort of movie. I don't know. Someone, someone said, "Let's go see that," and I was like, "All right." <laughs> Did you enjoy it? Nope. <laughs> um, I like Django Unchained. I think it's a fine film. Although Tarantino's got he, some issues. John Jarrett is in Django Unchained. Remember, oh, he's uh, one of the Australians, Yeah, is he? at the very end of the film when, when Tarantino steps in and does his Australian Why answer. is that in the movie? <laughs> Excellent question. I mean, I know obviously Tarantino's trying to have a bit of fun with it, but it just it doesn't work. It's bad. Mm. Good thing Tarantino's not in this movie, Citizen Kane, which came out in 1941. 1941. Yeah. Not to be confused with the Steven Spielberg movie 1941, which I think is the name of a Steven Spielberg movie about so, 1941. What? Okay. <laughs> oh, was it just a behind-the-scenes documentary about the making of Citizen Kane? It was a, about the making of 1941, the year. I said, on the making of <laughs> yeah. 1941. Yeah, it stars Jeffrey Tambor as God. It stars a calendar. And it just... Oh, I'm going to create the world. That's not Jeffrey Temple's voice. I was about to say, I, yeah. mean, I didn't realise it was casting Dave Callan as God. <laughs> it's not a... All right then, I'll oh. just go and make the world then, shall I? Oh, oh. I'll do it in six days and I'll take one for some rest. <laughs> so we, uh, we get a fairly young uh, Charles Foster Kane early on. He's 25, he's taken over a newspaper... He's uh, sort of talking what seem like fairly socialist values, but we know he doesn't actually follow any sort of any ideology, really. He just believes in himself. Mm. Uh, Orson Welles is really good in this movie. Yeah, I'm surprised that Orson Welles is good. Because <laughs> I assume that everything from the past is terrible. And it did take me... Don't you I, assume everything in the present is also terrible, though? Yeah. I had a moment about half an hour, 45 minutes in, where I went... Oh, that's why the voice is familiar. Pinky from Pinky in the Brain is an Orson Welles impression. Yeah. Yeah. By Maurice LaMarche, I think. 
<laughs> Maurice Lamarge. <laughs> That's, uh, that sounds like you were clutching at straws to make up a name. <laughs> well, I'm not. <laughs> but anyway, because so, the, the, the cadence and the kind of jowliness, there's a jowly sound yeah. to the... Um, uh, uh, to the voice, and I was like, "Where the fuck does that?" Oh, of course, Pinky in the Brain. Yes, yes. It's about twenty-five minutes into the movie before we even fucking meet Kane, which is audacious and wonderful. It's like I think. it's like uh, it's like the Spielberg Jaws technique. <laughs> yeah, don't show Jaws until it's time for Jaws. Exactly. And there this, is actually a giant shark in this movie. This it's movie, like one of the main characters. This movie just should have been called Kane. <laughs> Or Jaws. I could have called it Jaws. I could have called it Jaws. Would have required a fairly major rewi- uh, rewrite. Yeah. Just make Kane a shark. I always gagged on that silver spoon. <laughs> That's another, a good line. Another quote that I liked. Oh, I've got a note here saying, it appears to be raining everywhere in the United States. Because we see the journalist <laughs> whose job is to find out what Rosebud meant. And he goes around to three different cities, I think. Three different cities across America to talk to three different people. Yeah. It's raining in every one of those cities. Tell me about Kane. Tell me about Kane. What do you know about Rosebud? <laughs> um, raining everywhere. Yeah, rainy, rainy movie. Uh, we when we see when we see Orson Welles in the old age makeup for the first time, the movie makes great use of this deep focus to very purposefully obscure him for a long time, so that when he walks into the frame and he's an old man, it's kind of it's interesting. It's shocking. Which scene was that? Uh, there's like he's signing the piece of paper to that guy oh yeah oh yeah yeah. and the other thing is in this scene what's he walking with Nick? oh he's walking with the cane from Citizen Kane yeah and you know there's that episode of The Simpsons where they go to that uh, what was it the Hard Rock Cafe or the Hollywood Cafe or whatever it is and Lisa balks at the idea that there was a cane in the movie Citizen Kane turns out She's wrong. I would note, though, that the cane in The Simpsons is very different from the cane yes. the cane is walking with in the movie Citizen Kane. Yes, I yeah. agree. Do you think this is the most we've used the word cane in any episode of Buzz of the Kia Springfield? I think so. Was there any episodes where we talked about, like, American sodas? There was, wasn't there? What, like cane sugar? Yeah. Is that where you were going with that? Yeah, which is right. not actually what they use. Now no, that I, I think, think about it, that'd be Mexican because Mexican yeah. Coke is the better one. Yeah, they it. use corn syrup and high fructose yeah. corn syrup. Yeah, HFCS tastes weird. Hafux. I've I've never had a high fructose corn syrup one. I don't think. No, we've never re- been to America. Yeah, that's true. I remember being surprised when I was like, "Oh no!" Apparently, it's a big thing in America where people seek out Mexican Coke because that's made with like cane sugar instead of high yeah, fructose yeah, corn syrup. Yeah, the same thing. And I was just like, "But." What? <laughs> what is, is Coke not the same all around the world? No, it's, it tastes different. It is bonkers to me that it's <laughs> different in different parts of the world. 1940s debauchery is weird. It is, um, yeah. So when he hires like six star from some other newspaper and then they do the song, the Monty Burns song, but Charlie Kane. Yeah. Um, and, and this is another there one is of a those. Man, a certain man, a man whose great and handsome face is known across the land. You know his name, you know his name is Mr. Burns. It's Mr. Burns. He likes to smoke, enjoys a joke, why he's worth ten times what he earns. Sure. So, it's another one of those... Burns. (laughs) It's another scene that annoyed me because it's clearly a director saying, like, you know, so, sorry, I'll I'll set the scene properly. 
He hires these six people and there's a a, a big dinner party thing. Yeah, for he's a... stolen all the stuff from another newspaper. Yeah. It's taken him six years. Uh, so there's a big thing with maybe yeah, 30, been... 30 guests, a bunch of middle-aged white men in suits. Yeah, most then... of this movie is middle-aged white men in suits. This yeah. is true. And then a marching band comes in and everyone's like, oh, fun, marching band. And then, <laughs> no, marching band, and then a line of dancing chorus girls come in. Yeah. And did you see what the people on the far side of the table did? No. They they got up out of their seats, put one knee on the table, took the handkerchief out of their top suit pockets and started waving it at the girls. And I just lost my fucking mind going, this is clearly people who have never experienced reality going, oh, what do you do when a line of girls walk in? Oh, yeah, wave your hanky at them, boys. Wave your hanky at them. I just... Oh, it's so because it goes back to that thing I was talking about of like the faked musical theater mania. Yeah. No one waves hankies at women. I don't care if it's twenty eighteen or nineteen forty one. It doesn't happen and never did. Why does it happen in this microcosm of reality that they're trying to present as a story? Okay, we were just discussing earlier in the car, unrelated to this podcast, how we are both, we have trouble being emotionally open, it's very difficult to actually speak to people. Maybe this is just the 1940s way of uh, it's cutting co- through all that bullshit. So so instead of liking every tweet that a girl makes, <laughs> you take out your hanky and wave it at her. Yeah, instead of, you know, viewing their Instagram story often. <laughs> often. <laughs> um, multiply and often. But, um, and then... The other thing I want to know about this, and this is related to uh, this note here, yep. is related to that note there, which I've already said. So I'm going to take them both so at the same notes. time. I know. I'm actually not... I'm literally starting to draw geography between my notes <laughs> to link them properly. Because um, in this dinner party, he uh, uh, there's a couple of big laughs that Charlie Kane gets. <laughs> Are these jokes supposed to land? Like... In the 1940s, when this film came out, were the audience sitting there going, <laughs> such sparkling wit? Well, I think it's just that Foster Kane is so fucking magnetic and he has charmed everyone and he's so fucking rich that he just, that gets, just have he to did. laugh at everything he says. See, I'm glad that's the case because when I first saw it, I was like, well, these jokes aren't landing. And then I went, oh, are they supposed to be, they're just playing along because he's such a smug rich asshole they have no choice but to play along and it's also just the tone in the room I think you know so yeah. you'll just you know you go and see a stand up and you'll laugh at jokes that aren't that funny because the whole room is laughing yeah. and it's just like a good feeling in the room sure a, a, a sense of conviviality <laughs> I like that I didn't frame that as like a friend tells a joke it's like no 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 you need to be in a comedy situation <laughs> um, okay I'm, I guess it's yeah okay I guess we can put that down to being convivial yeah um yeah, okay. I enjoy that. I enjoy that whole scene. Uh, although Mr. Bernstein seemed to be getting on your nerves a great deal. The uh, the old the guy who's like very loud all the oh. time, like the sort of toadying man who's always shouting, who looks like a lizard. He did really get on my nerves because he's at the end of the because he's actually some of the setup for some of the jokes. So there's like you know a nice little dinner party thing that's meant to be happening, and meanwhile he's standing up, both palms on the table, leaning forward as far as his bony frame can carry him, saying things like, "Ha, huh, Mr. Kane, what do you think about this such and such?" And it's, it's just like, "No, <laughs> shut up, just stop shouting, stop delivering things weirdly." I, I love this man. He is so <sighs> great. His name is the actor's name is Everett Sloan, and I think what they do really well with this character. 
over the course of the movie is just show the effect of like the passage of time and the effect that Kane has on this man. You see him slowly lose all of his energy. Mm. Like as the film but goes is that on, just not standard aging. Can you are, you are you pinning that down to Kane? Yeah, I think there's a sadness to this character over time. You know, we see him and he's so he loves Kane so much, he believes in him so much that we see him. You know, he still like talks to Kane with the same sort of smile on his face, but the energy is gone completely. I think it's a wonderful performance. This guy who's so energetic and excited and just sort of gets weary without ever like losing his hope and his belief in Kane, unlike most of the other characters in the film. What has Everett Sloan gone on to do? I kind of, I had a very quick look and uh, didn't recognize most of his other credits. There's a line a bit earlier than this that I really liked when Kane. As an old man says, you know, if I hadn't been so rich, I might have been a really great man. Sure. I like that line because, you know, the film goes on and I feel like there's an... Kane had enough inherent problems that that probably wasn't going to be the case. Have you ever seen in a Wikipedia entry a heading for partial filmography? <laughs> Why is it not the complete filmography? Uh, maybe there's some films that got lost or... I guess so. I, I don't know. Maybe he was uncredited in some performances. In 1964, he played... Uh, in a movie called The Disorderly Orderly, he played a character called Mr. Tuffington, which is quite nice. Well, they're saying in the final credits for this film, they frame his him as one of the actors who who's, the film is introducing, new to theater, which yeah. would make me think probably he did have earlier roles and just those films are lost. Oh, uh, yeah. a lot okay. of films from back then are just gone. Sure. So that's a possibility. Or maybe, you know, they were very small films. You know, preservation wasn't really on people's minds for a lot of stuff back then. Um, can we talk about the amazing thing that happens when they find out that Kane is uh, engaged? Yes. The amazing line that is said by the staff of the newspaper. Yes, we can. When he comes back from this big trip and he seems kind of like flustered and rushed and he doesn't really think straight or talk straight and then he leaves... And then someone is over by the window and looks out the window and sees a horse-drawn carriage with a woman waiting in it. And they go, oh, fuck. Hey, guys. Hey, fellas. Come get a look at this. And one of the newspaper staff responds with, let's go to the window. (laughs) Fuck. This is, I mean, this is funny enough that I got away with it because it's so stupid. But that's exactly the kind of musical theatre bullshit I'm talking about. You don't need to say, let's all go to the window. You can just go there. There's a lot of expository dialogue in this film. So much. And there were some scenes where like four people were all just talking at once and then three of them would stop and the other one would continue. And I'm sitting there going, yeah, look, I know that sometimes that happens in real life, but this isn't real life. It's meant to be a distilled story. I think for I the... find I find some theatre confusing. I think for the most part, the screenplay of this film is phenomenal, but then there are little things like that, like uh, much later in the film when we meet Jim Geddes, yeah. the, his political opponent, mm. and he leads uh, Charles and his wife into that room. He introduced himself and says, I'm Jim Geddes. Like, they wouldn't know who Jim Geddes yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Biggest political <laughs> opponent. And I don't know why they don't just have, car- like, uh, Charles say, Geddes, that old fiend, motherfucker. <laughs> Motherfucker. <laughs> That's my regret of Citizen Kane. <laughs> Fair enough. Have Kane go get his motherfucker. Um, so. uh, there is a, another piece of dialogue, and I think we're jumping around a lot here, but yeah. I mean, this movie went for so long. I got I, some lines of dialogue I've got written down as well. Um, I really enjoy, uh, hello, Jebediah, I'm drunk. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. Perfect. 
some other some other lines that I really liked in this. Uh, when we yes. get to the the second lot of interviews, I I forget which what the name of this character is, but when he says that uh, Kane, he never really gave anything away. He just left you a tip. I think that's a really nice piece of character work. Just you know establishing how the myth of Kane doesn't quite match up to who he actually was to the people close to him. Interesting. And then he says that he never believed in anything other than Charles Charlie Kane, which again is good because we have that early scene establishing what seems like an ideology, but the ideology just goes away. Yes. Yes. What a fucking was good it, film. Was it thrown away? Uh, I believe it was thrown away. Cool. I was just yeah. checking. I've got a note here that just says Mr. Burns. That seems like a very thin note to have uh, Oh, yeah. that's because of the podium when he's uh, doing that political address. Oh, yes, the, yes, 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 yes. The scene, that, yeah, we already talked about that. But Mr. Burns and Quimby both stand on a very similar podium in The Simpsons mm. in episodes that we have watched so far. Yes. The other, like the Quimby one, a few episodes ago, we were talking about Marge, uh, Marge in Charge slash Marge in Chains. And I said, is this a Citizen Kane thing? And you said, why the fuck would I know that? I haven't seen Citizen Kane, motherfucker. Sit back down. And now we know that it was a Citizen Kane thing. It's the Orson Welles rewrite of what I said. <laughs> yeah. A lot more people being called a motherfucker. Um uh yes yeah and then you told me that there was an alien invasion going on and that i needed to run into the basement and hide yes and yeah. then um uh, and you know who was down there the third man oh i haven't seen I'm the third man. That, yeah i'm sure that's another orson welles yeah thing. and then we watched transformers the movie orson welles's last uh, recorded role i believe I see. He played John Transformer. And then... A young man who is going through puberty and needs to make a decision between two women. I assume that's what that film was about. And then we will... Uh, after doing all of that, after consuming all that entertainment, mm. we'll do the same... We'll, we'll try to do the same thing we do every night. Try to take over the world. My awesome world is no good. My pinky's no good either. I guess I'll be pinky. <laughs> no, no, that's, that's not right. That's, that's, that's the brain. Ah. <laughs> Oh, no, wait. So yeah. what? No, okay. Sorry, I was saying Pinky before, but I actually meant the brain. Yeah. You know what I really Pink? like about Pinky and the brain? Wait, is the brain the smart one or the dumb one? No, he's the, he's the, the, brain, smart, the brain's yeah. the smart one. Well, yeah. I, I fucked I, that up before. I, I like that um, one of them's smart, and the other one, he's insane. I mean, to me, that's wild. <laughs> Properly insane. <laughs> um, interesting. Yeah. Uh, Kane has, like, a son who kind of gets forgotten by the film. Yeah, what happens to the he's son? He's in, like, one scene, he's like, Papa... Are you going to come home with me, Papa? Oh, I don't know, son. i got to stay here at this political rally. Papa? Uh, and then yeah. he gets loaded off in the car, and Kane's like, Oh, shit, just like my parents did to me. Oh, 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 I'm Foster Kane, I am. And then you don't see the son again. You don't see him before, either. Foster. Yeah, um, that's in, his middle name. Yeah, I know. But I was just like, yeah. in, in terms of what it means. You were thinking about beer, I get it. <laughs> uh yeah no that that son uh we can only assume he's dead yeah instantly <laughs> probably i don't know well it's just it's, it's weird that they don't yeah anyway well i mean he probably would have died in the war you know eventually the son yeah this film came out in 1941 yeah i don't think the son was of conscription age <laughs> yeah but like that's like 20 years before the end of the film oh yeah yeah oh yeah now, when 
when Kane doesn't win the governor race because it's revealed that he's sleeping with a singer, Mary Shelley wins instead. Yeah, uh, yes, exactly. <laughs> um, Is that the name of the governor from The Simpsons? Don't believe so. <laughs> no, that's, but I that's, got the so joke. Mary Shelley wrote Frankenstein. <laughs> Fuck. That's not right either. Yeah, so there's that scene where Charles Foster Kane throws that little girl in the river <laughs> and then the town <laughs> chases him to a windmill, I think. Oh, wow. And then there's the sequel where he gets the bride and he smokes that cigar and that guy's like, no, Charles Foster Kane, don't smoke. Smoking's bad. <laughs> no way, that's not what happens. He hang smokes on, the cigar on, and he tells him this... What level of reality are we talking about now? Have you seen Bride of Frankenstein? Oh, that's, that's what we're talking about. No, I, no, I haven't seen that. 1931's Bride of Frankenstein? No. So that might be too deep a bench to pull from, oh, considering Lord. you don't like movies. But there's a scene in that movie where Frankenstein's smoking a cigar. He's like... Arr! And the, the, other, the guy with him's like, no, Frankenstein, smoking is good. And Frankenstein takes a puff of the cigar and says, Ah, smoke! Good! And then he coughs. That's fucking wild. It's a great movie. <laughs> that is ridiculous. <laughs> now, when, um, when Charles Foster Kane loses the election, he takes his opportunities, he throws them away because he sleeps with the singer. Sure. Uh, they have to pick between two headlines. One of them's like, uh, Kane wins, baby. And the other one says, uh, Kane loses, baby. Fraud at polls. Fraud at polls. Now, which politician and uh, which modern politician's vernacular does that remind you of? And it's also pretty scary that just before that, when we're at the big rally, he says that, you know, if I get elected as governor, the first thing I'm going to do is put together a committee to indict the current governor. Yeah. Which sounds an awful lot like, if I get into office, I'm going to make sure Hillary goes to jail. Yeah. Um, he also says, I'd make my promises now if I wasn't too busy arranging to keep them, which is actually a pretty killer line, I think, mm. for a governor's speech. Mm. But then the motherfucker ruins everything, and then they print in their paper saying that it was... Fake uh, news. Yeah. Yeah. Fraud at polls. Yes. Yeah. Which is yeah. alarming. It because is alarming. it's, you know... His, I'd say history repeats, but this is just a movie. None of this actually happened. Fiction repeats. Yeah. <laughs> Fiction repeats as fact. <laughs> oh, that's a horrifying uh, idea. Yeah. Fiction repeating as fact. Hmm. Yeah. Does Orson Welles, do you think he actually put on weight for specific scenes or are they just finding a workaround? I, I, oh, interesting question. Because he looks heavier. He does. He does look heavier. When he's older. And I don't know if they suited him up or if he just uh, went and ate a bunch of cake. It might be. I, I, I would have guessed suiting him up. Uh, this movie could also be called A Bunch of Fucking Close Talkers. That was actually the second title there were. A documentary. <laughs> Anytime there's dialogue between two... Here's my latest film, A Bunch of Fucking Close Talkers. Because <laughs> anytime there's dialogue between two men in suits, they're standing inches away from each other. <laughs> Just screaming in each other's faces. I got claustrophobic watching them talk so close. Also... His second wife, mm. are we supposed to believe that she's a truly shit singer? Because she doesn't seem anywhere near as bad as everyone's making out for this her This is be. what I really love about all of this, is that she's bad, but like good enough that you believe she would think she could be professional. Okay, I That's see. That's my take on this. Is, I see. You know, you can hear that she's not quite there, but she's 
good enough mm. that it's reasonable that both she and Kane would think, you know, she if could, she just learns. Yeah, sure. That's it. Yeah, because I. That's a, uh, to me, it's a perfect level of badness. That does actually. For what's happening. That does actually contextualize it. Because I was looking at going, I mean, she's. She's not that bad, guys. But yeah. uh, that's an interesting context you put in. Yeah, she's bad enough for it to be like bad for an opera. Sure. But, you know, good and by regular person standards, bad by singer standards. And I've always said bad for an opera is pretty bad. Yeah, that's the thought I was having during this film. Is opera good? I've never actually watched an opera, but I cannot imagine I would enjoy it. I can't imagine I would enjoy it either. Like, I don't understand why it's still a thing <laughs> mind you i'm sure this is just extraordinarily uneducated of us but yeah I, whenever i see opera on film I'm like hmm don't think that's any good i'm not i'm not agreeing to the fact that it's extraordinarily uneducated of us <laughs> because to me that sounds an awful lot like the people who are proponents of homeopathy say that you just haven't learned enough about how it works you can learn heaps about something and it's still fundamentally <laughs> terrible at i its don't premise. think Opera, which is just a thing you go to and watch and enjoy, and homeopathy, which is a lifestyle choice that kills people, <laughs> comparable. I don't know. How many people have died in opera-related incidents this year alone? I mean, yeah, it's been thousands, but I don't think that proves the point. Uh, no, I just think that things can be core. Uh, things can be terrible at their core premise, and learning about them doesn't make any difference. <laughs> yeah, I do kind of feel like maybe I should watch an opera, and then say whether I buy into the the format or not is, on a fundamental level. Is, kind of like you in movies. Is there? <laughs> you hate movies, but I've never seen one. <laughs> is there a Simpsons episode about? opera there is and shall we shall we go to an opera for an episode of 22 flims (laughs) there's the Bart the genius the second episode they go to the opera because they think well Bart's smart now he's gonna like the opera I'm Marge oh well oh man and we've just missed the 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 touring production of uh, Mem Saim Bart Rabbi Has Memo (laughs) that was just at the Adelaide Festival Centre like a week ago that would have been a perfect tie in (laughs) I've spent the last 10 seconds now thinking, should I try to sing that in an opera style? Like, no, you can't sing. Don't do it. <laughs> this is not a thing you can do. Don't be like, uh, I did write her name down somewhere. Susan, played by Dorothy Cummingore. I wrote that very poorly. but Cummingore. Don't, yeah. Don't mm. be like Susan. Don't think that you can sing at an opera. Susan Lander, I think her name was. That sounds about right. Maybe. Um, she landed a pretty good role hey, in the movie Citizen Kane. Hey. hey. Oh, oh. Oh. That's the kind of content people come to us for. Sure. God, I hope they make a Susan Lander landing joke. Papa? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Papa, do you think there'll be a joke about Susan landing in this one? <laughs> Seems unlikely, Tim. It's a podcast about The Simpsons. <laughs> Only nominally, Papa. Ah. <laughs> uh. I hope people have been following that particular bit. <laughs> this is the most confusing thing out of context. <laughs> the descent into mania. Well, is... Just to be clear, there's a child out there somewhere <laughs> that will requires Nick to deliver certain content on this podcast or they will die from blood malnutrition <laughs> for some reason. <laughs> oh, wow. The 
I've got a few scattered notes on this page before I move on to my next pages. Sure, uh, sure, sure. Pages, plural. A thought that I had during some of these opera scenes is I think the important thing about this film, and one of the things that makes it great, is that Kane never learns a damn thing. He never actually changes. He just gets older and worse. It's quite Seinfeldian in that way. There's no hugging and no learning. Yeah, he just uh, gets more and more of an asshole. And the film, ultimately, we learn is about like the thing you can never get back, which is what Rosebud represents. But it's the... Sure. Just the fact that it, there's never a moment where he's like, oh, you're right, I've been a terrible husband, I'm going to get better. He just, you know, even when he like slaps his wife, she says, don't apologize, like, I won't, you know? It's mm. like, it's just an, a guy getting worse and worse. It's yeah. like his masculinity getting more and more toxic as the movie goes on. Yeah. And it's unflinching in that regard. There's, you know, the movie is not particularly sympathetic towards Kane, mm. uh, which is great. He gets old, you know, he's regretful on his deathbed, but not about any of the things he did. He's regretful about what he lost, which is, I think, uh, powerful in its own way. Yeah, and I actually think that, that um, here we go, I'm actually going to make a proper bit of fucking story analysis, James. Okay. So there's a bit in the, the one of the arguments, oh, so the, when um, his second wife leaves him, um, and he starts by saying, you know, if you stay, it'll all be your way and not how I think it should be, but, you know, baby. The, the way you want it to be, baby. Yep. Uh, and then there's no reaction from her. And yep. then he says, you can't do this to me. Yeah. And she says, oh, yeah, because it's always about what's being done to you. It's yeah. never about what you're doing. Yeah. Um, I wrote that, that down somewhere. That's the, such a good line. It's the basic gist of what she says. But... Yeah. Um, I took... It's I see, it's you this is being done to, it's not me at all. Correct. Yeah. Um, uh, I think that him saying Rosebud at the end of well, at the end of his life is a, uh, exactly what you were saying before a moment ago about he doesn't regret any of the things that he's done. I think that he sees Rosebud, the sled, that he hit the guy who took him away from his parents. Mm. He sees that as a thing that was done to him that then set his life yeah. on this path that does this thing. And I find it interesting. Ah, absolutely. That's yes. a good observation. Thank you. Good work, Nick. Thank you. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, the scene of the first time we see the opera. Yes. And every time we get a close-up of... Uh, God, I keep forgetting her name. The uh, second Susan. wife, Susan. Every time we see a close-up of her, she looks like she's crying. Yes. And the first scene, we see her... She's... And I think that had something to do with the the cheap glue on the envelopes for the wedding invitation that Susan was licking. <laughs> In that particular episode of uh, The Simpsons, I want to say. <laughs> I think it's The Simpsons. Yeah, because there was that whole thing with oh, look, a, lot of that, a lot of the early 90 TV shows blend into each other. <laughs> yeah. Or was she Bud's girlfriend? <laughs> I think so. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, yeah, we get that shot and then it like zooms out. And we get her on the stage surrounded by the other people. It's a glorious shot. And then the camera fucking pans up and pans Track. up into the rafter. Yeah, tracks track. Up. It tracks up. Sorry. I'm, I'm sorry, Nick. It, well, it's, it's just because uh, if, if it panned up as in tilted, it, it wouldn't be anywhere near as impressive as it actually moving up. So yeah, it, I just wanted to make sure that anyone that doesn't know the shot got the full ground. Yeah, I get it. I get there. it. It's me being a dickhead, but it, it tracks <sighs> up. No, I think you find it's me being a dickhead. <laughs> no, no, no. You're correcting a thing that needed correcting. Oh, you're, you're in the right here. It tracks up. And we see the two guys in the rafters that are doing the like PU faces. Yes, like, yes, oh, yes. this stinks. Oh, uh, Polly, polyurethane. And then <laughs> later on, we get the reverse shot where we see her from the other side, like what it would look like from backstage. And I, I love shit like that. It's yes. 
There's a lot of like it's sort of gimmicky stuff, but I love it. Mm. I love this movie. Uh, the thing I found this re- movie being Citizen Kane. Yes, the thing I found really interesting about the shot where the camera tracks up all the way up into the rafters because you can see all of the you know how in old theaters they've got the different flats that can all come down so you can have different backgrounds and sets and stuff. Yep. So you can see all of that, uh, all the wires and cables and stuff. But I I think. My knowledge of theatres is not that deep, but I think what that means is they would have had to partially deconstruct a theatre. Because generally speaking, the wires and cables that control the flats are all hidden by the wall. Sure. And so they would have had to tear some of that down so that they could get the camera shot to go oh, up. Oh, that's almost certainly done on a set. Where they would have just said the... Really? Because that's a, that's a big, big... Big set to build when you could modify an already existing. Oh, maybe uh, it's it would very be rare for like they yeah, basically didn't true. shoot any films on location. Like all of this would be sets. Yeah, wow, that's ridiculous. Because yeah. some of the interior sets of hit the mansion are ridiculous. Like you only ever see like one room at a time, though. The walk-in fireplace. Okay, I can I can say having been onto the Warner Brothers set, uh, sure. I did a set visit. The rooms that they film these things in are fucking enormous. Yeah, right. <laughs> like. You know, take this house and then, like, you couldn't even express it as a percentage. (laughs) (laughs) So, like, like more than 50% of this house? (laughs) Yeah, a little bit more than that. (laughs) A little bit more than half of this house. (laughs) So, we see um, a montage of newspapers of the opera. Yeah. And varying reviews. At the end of that... Well, they're not really varying when we see his papers, oh, though. Yes, yeah. when we see the Inquirer. At the, but at the end of that little montage, her voice... So she's singing over the top of it. Mm. Uh, Susan's voice does this weird little, like, spiralling sound effect. Yeah. Which reminded me heaps of a sound effect at the end of a meme from about six years ago of um, my first hardcore song by an eight-year-old girl called Juliet. <laughs> anyway, anyone that hasn't heard that song, look it up. That's a very Nick pull. <laughs> There's uh, in that montage as well. It got me thinking. These newspapers essentially become Foster Kane's views expressed, yes. writ large on the front page. Which uh, Monday newspaper magnate does that remind you of? Mm-hmm. I I tried to think of any other newspaper magnate, <laughs> Johnny Kane, so, so that I could be purposely wrong. But Murdoch, you mean? Yeah, Murdoch. Who, I believe, does he still own Fox or he's... Uh... Uh, oh, I don't know. We got a Simpsons connection here, baby. Oh, That's what I'm getting at here. Oh, yeah. Murdoch, Fox, Simpsons. Rope it. He was on that one episode. Rope it. Yeah, rope yeah. it. When they're in... Weren't they in his box at the Super Bowl? Yeah, and he yeah. walks in and says, I'm Rupert Murdoch, the billionaire tyrant. Yes. <laughs> Which is uh, strange in retrospect that he agreed to do that. But... Yeah, is it possible he doesn't know what the word tyrant means? <laughs> I think he. I mean, he owns a news. He owns a series of newspapers. I feel like yeah. it's probably a word he's quite familiar with. And then, and then on the day that he walked in, Murdoch, if you'd like to come on and clarify, <laughs> on the day that he walked into the uh, the Simpson studio to film that voiceover, they just had uh, six Semper Tyrannis banners hanging <laughs> on every available surface. Sure. Ah, my next note here just says, this movie, every part of it rules. I was very on board with this movie. This movie being Citizen Kane, generally recognised as the best film ever made. Mm. Mm. So, you know, controversial view, mm. I think, mm. of uh, the fact that the movie is good. There's We see one of the people in the crowd at the opera who has torn up their program. Mm. And, ooh. Oh, the coffee machine. The coffee machine. Hey, buddy. 
There he is. There he is. Uh, well, she is. I don't want to assign. Oh, yeah. Or they are. I don't want to assign a gender to your coffee just, machine. Uh, just, just doing a rinse cycle. Yeah. As we all have to sometimes. Right. So they've torn up the program and they're blowing on I think it, that's sort Jeb. of ruffling it. What? I, th- I think that's uh, I think that's Jebediah. Jebediah Springfield, yes. Yeah. But uh, I'm pretty sure, doesn't Homer do the same thing while he's watching a streetcar named Desire with Marge in it? I think he does. I think that's where this action is pulled from. Another Simpsons Very thing. Nice. Baby. Baby. Yeah. And then later on, we see Jebediah. Um, uh, Springfield. Kane, he kills Kane's, the bear. Yeah. Kane's friend. Yeah. He's playing that little uh, that little handheld video game about bowling <laughs> yeah. or hockey or whatever <laughs> yeah. it was. Bowling. Bowling. <laughs> Not much about Yeah. Bowling. He doesn't want to go and see the opera because uh, he's worried there won't be enough bowling in it. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Very good. The now there's a there's a scene in here of Kane clapping for his wife's opera. He starts clapping well after everyone else. Yes. And he stands up and he's clapping. Yes. This scene has turned into like a bit of a meme, like a gif or gif to use Thank the vernacular that you prefer. I saw you that was amazing. I saw you like tense up and then immediately call down realizing you couldn't justify getting annoyed about it. <laughs> I read your body language so completely in that moment. <laughs> That was amazing. <laughs> Fuck. No wonder why you were so good at playing L.A. Noir. It was crazy. It was just like a slight change in your pupils and your shoulders. <laughs> just like an electric shock had run through you. Like a very minor one. If I was going to translate that into a sound, it would have been me going, what? Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway. Fucking tremendous. Anyway, that, um, that GIF slash Jeff is... Mm-hmm out there of him standing up and clapping and people usually use it to mean like oh that was an astonishing thing that's happened I'm which is interesting yeah because in the context it, of this it's like the opera is a bit of a failure and he's my reading is he takes a moment he registers that and then like it's a performative action like he knows he needs to applaud and he knows that other people will applaud because him. he's applauding yeah. and it's you know it, I it's think, not a genuine applause. I think if you're going for genuine applause gifs, mm. you should get the, the start of the slow clap from Strictly Ballroom. I haven't seen Strictly Ballroom. What the fuck? There is no crossover in the movies that we have seen, it's except really for The weird. Shining, Citizen Kane, and The Simpsons movie. Our, and also Wallace and Gromit and The Curse of the Were-Rabbit and that Muppet Christmas and movie. That Muppet, yeah, if you take out those five, <laughs> then our Venn diagram of films are two circles. <laughs> One of them just slightly bigger than the other. You know, we've talked slightly. about you having not seen any movies. I'm increasingly convinced that you have seen every movie that I have not seen. <laughs> Between, oh, I love The Beast. We've both seen Love the Beast. Between you and me, movies are a zero-sum game <laughs> where you're only on one side of the ledger and I can only be on the other. It's this movie, yes yeah. or no. Yeah, I've seen you know a lot of the classics and you've seen every movie that stars Jamal <laughs> Crack. Yeah, so have I actually. Oh fuck. <laughs> Is he in anything else? He's bound to be. No, I think it's just the crack. <laughs> well, maybe he'll release like Citizen Jamoan next I, year that'll I, be about his rise and fall. I do like the idea though that Jamoan's in strictly ballroom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he comes in and does the carrot cake bit. Was a carrot oh it's yeah, so, well, so... you ever think about how they created carrot cake? Oh, I got a bit of carrot left over. Guess I'll turn it into a cake. <laughs> Is that a bit of his? Yeah. Or was that just you being... No, that was a Jamoan bit. Hmm. D- does he know that it was from, like... I doubt whatever you're about to say. From, from 
uh, World War One when they were rationing sugar and carrots are actually one of the more sweet vegetables? <laughs> I doubt it. Because, I mean, that's, that's how carrot cake came about. <laughs> I should have predicted that you would offhand know <laughs> about the, where <laughs> carrot cake comes from. The, the origin from. story of carrot cake. <laughs> just one of those bullshit things that you just kind of know. <laughs> For some reason. Oh, but but I but now that I've said that I can't wait for the internet to prove me wrong because I'm sure I'm wrong. Yeah, I'm sure the carrot cake industry will come at you hard. I I do think it did crop up around the time sugar rationing though. So. You probably I mean that makes a lot of sense everything you just said. Mm. So you know uh, we should be thankful for World War One because it gave us carrot cake. Brutal take. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> now that I stop and think about it, uh, World War One on the whole pretty bad. Yeah. Bad war, yeah. I want to say. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The great war they called it at the time, but to me, not so great. I think they meant um, great, in, meaning larger, meant they use it in the pejorative sense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, pulled a Simpsons reference back out. Uh, there's probably an episode of the newsroom where Jeff Daniels goes, "The Great War, not so great in my opinion." Have you ever seen the newsroom? Is that the? Um, that Aaron Sorkin Oh, show. no. Oh, God, no. I was thinking of some 90s Australian sitcom. I've seen one scene from the newsroom. This is a bit of a tangent, but it's going to link back uh, tangentially to everything we've been talking about. There's one scene I've seen from the first episode where uh, Jeff Daniels' character, uh, Johnny Newsroom, I guess his name is, he's on this panel, and they're asking, like, what makes America great? And the other two people give these very, you know, state answers. And he looks out into the crowd and fucking Emily Mortimer's out there holding up this sign saying, like, America's not great, but it could be again. And he gives this sort of, uh, this speech that before the Trump election, a lot of people were sharing online. It's like, oh, this is a great bit of writing. Mm. Haven't seen it come up in the last two years. Interesting. Oh, God, the newsroom looked fucking garbage. It's, uh... I mean, I shouldn't rail against a show I haven't watched, but it seems like it might be bad. Why not? I've been doing it for years. <laughs> what, The Simpsons? No, Everybody Loves Raymond. <laughs> You've never seen Everybody Loves Raymond? Why would I? That show was impossible to avoid, though. It was everywhere for a while there. Yeah, but I mean, you've, you've seen my content intake levels. They are alarmingly low. That's um, true. <clears throat> ah, I'm Raymond. Oh, I'm your brother, Brad Garrett. <laughs> Brad Garrett played the brother. Ah, oh, sure. Uh, yeah. What, what else was I going to say here? Oh, so Jebediah, he writes a bad review of Susan's uh, show. Yes. And then Kane finishes the review because he falls asleep at the typewriter and then he fires Jebediah. Mm. And then Jebediah sends him the declaration from the start of the film that we haven't mentioned on the podcast. Yes, it is, yes, yes. But did that moment kind of break your heart the way it broke mine? No, no. Um, so, the, so the declaration of principles was yeah. that they were going to report things truthfully and entertainingly and without interests creeping in. And Jebediah says in the most Strassman voice possible, uh, "Kane, do you think that I might take this home? I think it's going to be a valuable piece of writing in the future." Yeah, um, and then it gets back to Kane, and Susan says, uh, "Kane." What you got there? <laughs> it looks as well, Dave. It's an artifact. Uh, the, I'm the, going to take it, and throw it throw away. It. The, the bit that I find confusing, though, is that so Jebediah started writing a negative review. Mm. Kane finished it as a negative review and published it, 
And then Jed sends back the thing that's like, oh, but what about this thing that you wrote 30 years ago that said that you would, you know, report things truthfully? It's like, but he did. Because he started a bad review and you kept it going. But the old man version of Jebediah says that he just did that to, you know, it was all like a show. He was just doing that to sort of uh, make it seem like he never went back on anything he said. But like, he's actually full of shit. Right. Because obviously, like, the paper, like, and everything then, else in the paper is, like, complete nonsense. And then he... It's just that review was printed expressing that one guy's views, and he fired him for them. Yeah. Uh, yeah, okay, firing for... Yeah, okay, that that's... also the thing where he's, like, tipping out the envelope, and he's obviously torn up the check. The check, yeah. Which is a nice little touch. And... I hope um, people have watched Citizen Kane recently <laughs> on this podcast. It's gonna be confusing. I mean, but I think people enjoy just us bantering. Yeah, but also it's, it's their choice whether they watched it before <laughs> listening to this or not. Like, it's, yeah. it's clear as what it is. But, I mean, um, Citizen Kane is a, it's a good film. Yeah, you know, sure. People, people know that. Yeah. Um, he, uh, what was his name? Oh, and then after he, he rips, up the, um, rips up the Declaration of Principles and then starts um, publishing all the sham reviews saying how good the opera yeah. is. Yes. Because so, uh, he's no but, longer bound by the Declarations, James. Yeah. Because he's torn them up. An act of revocation, James. So then Susan, it's kind of implied, does she try to commit suicide or does she just Yeah, it was the yeah. it was the it was yeah. the cheap glue in the <laughs> the envelopes for the wedding oh, invitation. That's right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mentioned that before already. <laughs> yeah. But she's in bed and what's what I love here is it's the only real use of soft focus in the entire film. Mm. We get the foreground, so we see the medicine on her bedside cabinet. Mm. We get the background, where we see the door opening. Mm. She's in soft focus in the middle, so we can't really see what's going on with her. Mm. And that's fucking great. Yeah. Yeah. And then she's in bed, and uh, she's all sick and ill, and I don't know if she tried to kill herself or just purposely made herself sick. Mm. But she can't sing anymore, and Kane's like, well, that's okay, I'm Kane, let's build Xanadu. Now my question to you, Nick. Yes, yes, yes. All the papers are saying, this Susan, she's really something, she's good, people love her. Do we have a modern equivalent, just like somebody who everybody loves, that you feel they love them because they've been told to, by the media, or elsewhere? I feel that way about a lot of um, reality TV shows. Yeah. Hey guys, everyone's talking about The Bachelor. You'd better watch The Bachelor because everyone's talking about it. Look at all the people that are talking about it. No one's watching it. No one's talking about it. It's just on the news. But (laughs) fuck, I'd better watch it because everyone's talking about it because the news is talking about it because the news own the network that makes the fucking show. I know a lot of people who watch The Bachelor, but they always, whenever they talk to me about it, there's always like an element of guilt to it, like genuine guilt. And I'm not... I'm not judge. I don't judge people. I'm just like, eh, okay, I'm not into it. That's fine, whatever. But people always seem to struggle to admit how much they enjoy The Bachelor. To me, yeah. I mean, so I, um, I think Bachelor is one example of what I would say. Like my my honest answer to that question mm. is that I think there is a lot of reality TV shows that are mm. only successful and talked about because we are told that they are successful mm. and talked about. And how do you feel about Bachelor Girl? Well, as in. I walked under a bus, got hit by a train, yeah, falling in love, love, which kind of, kind of the same. Kind of the same. Yeah. Um, uh, I sunk out at sea, crashed my car, gone insane. And it felt so good. I'm going to do it again. Yeah. Yeah. What about Bachelor Ghoul, the Halloween variant? <laughs> 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 
sorry. I very much enjoy the idea of Bachelor Ghoul. Where it's just, it's all of those ways to die. and then But then I came back to life and continued to haunt people. <laughs> just trying to think how that would go. Well, I got haunted by ghosts. Uh, what rhymes of... Wait, 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 wait. So a ghoul is the receiver of further hauntings. <laughs> I didn't realise this was such a... Con- and, and well, it could be... Well, I've teamed up with ghosts. I've... Uh, I spit acid rain. Jesus. <laughs> uh, Keep running amok, which is kind of the same. <laughs> See, I was going to rhyme love with D-glove. I'm like, no, nah, that's too much. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> uh, Nana, can we talk about Xanadu? For once in our damn lives, can we talk about Xanadu? Sure. The palace that uh the uh Kane moves into hang with on. his wife. The... Oh god. The um never finished already decaying pleasure palace. Xanadu Ah oh. Xan Yeah. So that song by Olivia Newton-John. Yeah. Do you know what the fucking video for that is? It's her in a roller skating rink. She's in cahoots with the roller skating guy <laughs> from the start of the movie. It all comes full circle. She's yeah. in cahoots. Do you also notice that Sasha Baron Cohen seems to be in this film as the singing instructor? And yet Charles Foster Kane never once says, My wife. So I don't know what's going on with this film. It's a real missed opportunity there. <laughs> yeah. If only they had predicted Borat, then they could have mm. gotten out ahead. Same thing we do every night, Pinky. Try to take over my life. <laughs> so we get Xanadu, which is this big empty set with uh, what I described as a walk-in fireplace. Yeah, the walk-in fireplace was an interesting choice. And instead of like, you know, little stumpy logs, it was so big that there appeared to be entire trees in this fireplace. Yeah. And then he also goes stands very close to it. Yes, he does. Very giant close. fucking fire standing right there. None of his makeup melts off his face, which is handy. At this no. point, Orson Welles, who, again, is like 25 making this film, is yep. the most ins- ridiculous, stunning achievement. But he, he's really starting to look like Truman Capote. Years sure. before Truman Capote would write In Cold Blood. I see. Have yes. you read In Cold Blood? No. It's good. All right. So, um, yeah, he's standing around and he's like, mm, I'm Truman Capote. This is roughly what my voice sounds like. I can kind of do Truman, oh, I guess. that kind of sounded like um, Droopy Dog. <laughs> yes. One of the side characters to the Pink Panther. <laughs> yeah, and then Clouseau comes into the movie and is trying to find what Rosebud is. I see. Yeah. Oh, it all makes sense now. Yeah. Uh, a lot of these things that sort of happen in, in this scene we've already talked about, you know, it's all just them wandering around Xanadu and her being like, God, I fucking hate you, Kane. Mm. And he'd be like, I'm Kane. I'm a real piece of shit at this point. And then uh, the newspaper reporter who's trying to find out what Rosebud is goes to talk to Kane's uh, personal assistant. Yep. Bernstein. Yes. And we get... The craziest transition shot in the whole oh, fucking yeah, movie. Oh, yeah, bonkers. Where he's talking like, ooh, what's it worth to you, $1,000? Ooh, I'm the caretaker here. I'm an old man, and I'm going to tell you the secret of what Rosebud is. Come with me. And then it transitions into the next shot. And there's a fucking, what is it, a cockatiel? Yeah. Screeching like, on the screen? Yeah, like a... Like a translucent eye? Yeah, a big, white, screeching, translucent-eyed, crested cockatoo. Yeah, just this cockatiel fuck. Like, <laughs> just... 
and there is no explanation as to why it's there. Yes. Um, and then it just, but it it it's just a fade in, fade out transition shot with a screaming bird in it for some reason. I would like to note at the end of the previous vignette where he's talking to the ex-wife, we get the shot of her walking down the hallway into the darkness. Mm-hmm. And then when we come back for the next vignette, we get the same scene, but from the doorway she is walking into, yes. looking out at him, because this film is a masterpiece and sure. it can do shit like that. It's beautiful. The whole shot, reverse shot, fuck. Mm. Love it. And then he destroys the bedroom in a scene that I have always loved because it is the most lackadaisical piece of destruction I have ever seen in a movie. <laughs> lackadaisical? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Like, he wants the room to be wrecked, but doesn't want to put in the effort of actually destroying it. That's a really interesting point. It's another thing that's almost... It's almost as performative as the clapping is. It's like, well, I guess I'd better destroy this. <laughs> All right, then. Guess oh. I'll wreck this room. I will. And there's one bit where you can literally see him, like... He pushes something over, and then he stands up, and you can literally see him looking around the room going, have I got everything? Yeah. Oh, this shit. Oh, fuck. <laughs> <Yeah>. Smash. <laughs> Just like limply flicking his wrist. And then he picks up the snow globe. Dun, dun, dun. Was the snow globe Rosebud the whole time? No. No. We've got another twist coming up. You know why I looked this movie up on Wikipedia before we started? It described the film as, like, a drama-slash-mystery. And what? that really intrigued me because the movie's not a mystery anymore because it's such a part of the pop-cultural milieu that we all know what the ending is. But at the time, like, the mystery of the film is what is Rosebud exactly. Like, that's meant to be a thing you think about after the movie ends, but we know going in, it's the sled. I don't think it is meant to be a thing you think about after the movie ends because it's a shot that goes for 19 minutes of the the word rosebud burning in the fire. 19 minutes. Yeah. I mean, it's as obvious as the fact that Jack Nicholson uh, the time don't get me at the end of the time. <laughs> just Look, I, I, it's obvious. It's just, that's not what happens at the end of the Shining. I agree. No, he's a time traveler. We've already discussed it. I agree. No, no that's not the conclusion we arrived at. I agree that in the middle of um, of Citizen Kane, we don't know what Rosebud is, but it's very clearly signposted at the end. Yeah, in the last scene. The very yes, last scene of the yes, film. That tends to be where things end, James. Yeah, but then, like, you watch the movie, and then, like, the movie's over. You don't. You go and talk about the movie afterwards. You think about it. What have we been doing for the last 20 hours? I don't think that disqualifies it from being a mystery, though. Well, it is while you're watching the movie. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I, I agree with that. Because just, the, like, the, the context of the movie is the guy trying to find out what Rosebud is. That's the mystery that's solved. The only fragment of your sentence that I was taking issue with was the fact that you would walk away wondering what Rosebud was. No, that's not what I said. You walk away talking about what Rosebud represents. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's a sled. <laughs> it represents sledding. <laughs> and Jack Nicholson's a time traveler and he may have used the sled. Ah, <laughs> oh, fuck me. <laughs> Why do you do this to me? <laughs> I did enjoy there was a line at the end when they decide when the reporter decides that he can't uh, figure out what Rosebud is, that he just mm. doesn't have the information. Um, he basically does a speech about how yeah, but it wouldn't have mattered anyway, because it wouldn't have actually given us any insight yeah, this guy into, was fucked. into yeah. what his life was. Uh, and there's a line that says, I don't think any word can explain a man's life. So I just want to say, checkmate astrologers. <laughs> 
What is our star sign for today? What does it say? I don't have today's paper. <laughs> you will record a podcast. It will go fine. Oh, <laughs> well, oh that's a that's a relief. How oddly specific. <laughs> what if we checked because we we have the same birthday? What if we checked and our star sign was your friend will betray you today? <laughs> and then you'll be like, dang, dang, damn, dang, darn. Yeah, that's the setup for a great mystery movie. Um, yeah. Which friend will betray the other friend? Oh, it's probably Judas. <laughs> yeah, possibly. Uh, I've got some other things I was going to get into. Okay, so there's a shot of Kane walking through his house after he's wrecked everything. He's got the snow globe in his hand. All of his staff are standing around watching him. And he walks in front of a mirror that is mirroring another mirror on the other side. So we get this infinite mirror effect as he goes past. And... This movie is such a technical accomplishment. You know, there's a lot of shit in this movie that people would rip off for years and people Mm -hmm. have, you know, largely view this as a film that is a technical achievement more than a storytelling achievement. Sure. And this shot of all the mirrors, I feel like is the thesis statement of what the film has been doing in a way. Just this lovely shot Mm. of Kane just repeating infinitely because this film has been obsessed with mirrors the whole time. There's been multiple shots that are mm. framed through mirrors. There's been, you know, shots that mirror each other. Mm-hmm. And when you see that shot, my feeling is the movie can end now. This is like the sort of final statement mm. on what this movie has been doing and what it has been capable of. Mm. And this is this is where we move into the absolute conclusion where we'll find out the mystery of Rosebud and Kane will exit the film. We've seen him reflected and it's... You know, it's the same in each one. It's thematically rich. It's it's a beautiful shot. Mm. Fuck. What a good fucking movie. And it's a journey of self-reflection. Oh, um, The events triggered by the recent link between the sun and your ruler, Jupiter. Uh, My new- ruler, Jupiter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> newly positioned in the most strategic portion of your chart. Oh, madam. Uh, raised several questions. While you've already tackled a few, you're unsure what others involve. Understanding these and what's needed will take time. Still, what you learn about situations, others and yourself, will provide instru- will uh, what? Still, what you learn about situations, others and yourself will prove instructive, often about matters you didn't realize needed attention. I think what what this is telling me is that I might need to reconsider my position on uh, American news politics of the early 1940s. Yeah, maybe. Through, as, I mean, that was vague enough that it could have meant anything or nothing. What an astonishing! <laughs> what, what an astonishing departure from form for a horoscope. Yeah, I mean it's October now, so it's a horror scope. <laughs> I would enjoy them more if they were called spooky scopes. (laughs) You'll be visited by a ghoul. (laughs) It will be a bachelor. (laughs) You will walk under a bus, get hit by a train. Oh, then I'll fall in love, which will kind of be the same. So then we see the um, the room full of uh, Kane's you know crap. Another Australian pop song has some amazing ways to die. 
Shine by Vanessa Amorosi, written by Mark Holden, which features the line, you can bang your head or you can drown in a hole. <laughs> uh, get your head out of the hole. <laughs> get out of the hole, Vanessa. We see the big room full of uh, Kane's shit. It looks just like the gift room in the Simpsons episode Rosebud. Yes. Which is, you know, about Citizen Kane. Oh, Rosebud. and a little bit like the, uh, oh, not really. I was going to say the room of portraits in um, Brush with Greatness. Oh, yeah. Kind of. And just, we... just in the sense of a cavernous building that's full of stuff. And then we get the astonishing tracking shot over all that stuff. Yeah. Which would have been very difficult to do, I mm, think. Mm. And then we get Rosebud being thrown into the furnace. And then, 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 then... There's a little cameo from the characters of Toy Story 3. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's like Toy Story 2 where we get that scene at the end with like, the characters of a bug's life just uh, oh. mincing around. It's been, a, it's, been mincing around. it's been a while since I've seen Toy Story 2. I didn't it's remember. the best one. I didn't remember there was a bug's life It's got crossover. Kelsey Grammer in it as an old-timey prospector. Oh, that's who... Or Orson Welles yeah, is, a, yeah. is a cross between Shining Era Jack Nicholson and Kelsey Grammer. Yeah, you've nailed it. There That's it is. who his face was. Yeah, okay. The other thing is... Thank you for reminding me of Kelsey Grammer's existence. <laughs> this film ends with the exact same shots that it began with. The no trespassing yes. sign and then the shot of Xanadu. Because again, this film is all about fucking mirroring everything. Oh, it's got to end the same way it began. Yes. Beautiful. Brilliant. Yeah. yeah. 15 out of 10. Sure. I mean, it was Roger Ebert's favourite film, and I don't see eye to eye with Ebert on it. I don't know why I keep bringing up the fact that I don't see eye to eye on Ebert, with Ebert on everything whenever we do a movie episode. But is, is Ebert still with us, or has Ebert passed away? He's, he passed away some years ago. Alright, then I, I think it's time for you to stop trying to goad him into a grudge match <laughs> on an episode of 22 Flims. He would, or otherwise look, to be fair, too. he would wreck me in any sort of debate or discussion. Oh, he was okay. a very influential figure. But uh, yeah, ends with the same shots it began with. Perfect ending. Wonderful film. Very good. Sure. Yes. Yeah. Excellent. Yes. So now you've seen Citizen Kane, Nick. Yeah. Another movie to add to this list that someday we need to actually write. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. And you didn't seem to like it very much, but that's fine. It was fine. Um, it, uh, yeah, the uh, the the musical theatre tropes got on my nerves, but yeah. that's fine. And like like a lot of the stuff we see in The Simpsons that is referencing Citizen Kane, it is largely iconography and story beats. Mm. I think a lot of the sort of wizardry of the film is maybe forgotten. Although there is that tracking shot at the start of that Rosebud episode on the gauge into the mansion. That's true. And also, um, with the way that The Simpsons is animated, it does tend to be a lot of that hard focus, everything's in focus stuff. Yeah. It's t- difficult to draw. It is bokeh. hard to do a soft focus. In. It's difficult to draw bokeh blur in, yes. uh, in cell animation. <laughs> Mind you, some bokeh of the- blur is the name of your French teacher, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Bonsoir, je suis la bouquet bleu. Um, oui, oui. Uh, oh. um, uh, mind you, some of the digital episodes might have um, some blur in them. Well, I guess we'll never know unless we someday cover them, which we probably will. Yep. I've run out of notes. Yeah. I t- so many of my notes were just drawings where I have like labeled things and like got arrows pointing around. And I'm like, oh, yeah. If I was teaching a class on this film, these would be handy, but I'm not. So. What are you going to do? Well, I mean, unless people want to sign up to a Patreon level, which is an online series of lectures by you. <laughs> but for that to happen, we would need to A, do that, B, have Patreon, and C, have fans. 
if we ever did it a Patreon, we could just like scan these pages and that could be the extra content of our ridiculous notes. Oh, if that's going to be the case, I should stop scribbling all of mine out because <laughs> people are not going to want any of my notes because A, there are only three of them. Um, Papa, can I bet on Nick's notes in the Patreon auction? <laughs> well, no, son, I wouldn't bother. In the Patreon auction? Patreon auction, yeah. Okay. I, I wouldn't bother, son. Can't damn well read them. Can't damn well read them, Dad. Papa, when are you going to teach me how to read? <laughs> well, son, maybe if you stop listening to that damn podcast every day. Damn dang dumb. Gets on my nerves, it does. All right. All right, so this is this is the end of season four of Pots in the Key of Springfield. Yes. I'm thinking because we don't have much of a backlog and I keep editing these at the last fucking moment, might take a week off, I think, next week. Maybe yeah. two weeks. I haven't decided yet, but I feel like I sure. need a week or two to build up more of a backlog and catch up on some editing and just yeah. you know, take a bit of a take a take a short break. Yeah, sure. Editor James bumping in here just to let you know we settled on two weeks. So see you in November, friends. And I mean, then we'll be back with season five hooray. of The Simpsons. And we can uh, follow up on all those wacky ideas for Eat My Shorts that I had like a year ago and haven't followed up on yet. I haven't done yet. How is Bart's Guide to Life going? Yet to read it. (laughs) Although I did read it like religiously as a child, so that should be fine. We got some some shit planned. Yeah. I mean, kind of. Kind of. We have some vague plans for things that might be fun. Maybe we'll abandon those plans. Who knows? Almost certainly. Uh, Yeah, so this has been Season 4 of Pods in the Key of Springfield. Uh, check out other podcasts on the A Lot of Green Network. Oh, yeah. Hey, like, we're, on, we're on a network now. Yeah, we're on a network. Uh, what else have we got on this network? There's like a Dicey Endeavors, which is a D&D podcast. There's a Random Article, which is an excellent podcast where the yep. host gets um, hits the random button on Wikipedia and then does a deep dive into whatever is served up. Yep, that one's it. super cool. There's Let's Talk About uh, Sex. Sex. S-E-C-T-S. Yes. Which is about uh, fucking. <laughs> it's not. Um, it's about cults and sex. Yes. And uh, you can, if you go to, I think it's alotofgreen.com.au. Yep. That might be the website. Mm-hmm. There's a list of uh, the podcasts yeah. on there. Including us. Pods in the Key of Springfield. There's a... Baby. There's a, a heavy metal one. Yeah. It's called Black, Black Metal, maybe? Black Has Metal? Something like that. Yep. Um, it's a fun network. Yeah. And we're on it. Yes, we are. All right. So that's been, that's a, do you have a quote to go on? I do, I do, I do. All right. So, uh, you know, email address, post in the key of Springfield at gmail.com. Uh, we're on all the social media. Thank you for listening to what will end up being a fairly long episode. There's not a lot I want to cut out of this one, I think, having just done it. So I've had a good time. That was fun. I think we said some stuff. Yeah. Thank you for listening. It's always it's always good that we have people listening. Uh, as we are recording this, it is the first day of October, and this past September was actually the best month we've ever had for downloads, which is nice. So good. Good that people are tuning in. Yeah. Woozer Wazzle. Oh, let's go to the window. See? <laughs> in Rosebud. <laughs> <laughs> the mid 90s the ad for yogo yogurt and it was like it was the the one with the guy the little claymation guy that got into a car crash
little claymation. No, I don't remember and, that. And he says he's he's on the phone in his car and he screams, Barry, Barry, just listen to me, Barry. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. And then yeah, he has the yeah. car crash and says, I'll get back to you, Barry. But then there's a, th- another two characters in the ad, the people that get crashed into, uh, and the airbags of their car go off and they're looking all beaten up and bruised and stuff. Uh, one of them goes, airbags! And the other one goes, marvellous. Very, very strange thing for me to remember. Does yoga still exist as a product? I think it does. Do you want to go... Do, oh, the, oh, the shop's shut. It's a public holiday. Mamma we, we can't go get some yoga. It's Labor Day and here we are, performing labor. E- yes. Do they, do they still have that, like, their mascot who is basically Donkey Kong? Oh, um, interesting question. And they've got that snake. I always thought uh, the better Kong for a mascot would be Funky Kong, because you, you want the kids to know that your product's hip. Mm, just like Funky Yoga Kong, the, uh, the hippest of the modern apes. The hippest of the modern apes. <laughs> yep. <clears throat> Which was actually the name of my band's third album, Hippest of the Modern Apes. No, it's not going to be that one. I reckon it's this one. <clears throat> oh, yeah. Well, I forgot this was a, um... It was, like, serialised. Yeah, it's a whole heist. <laughs> It's a pretty good ad. This is pretty bitchin'. <laughs> he just stole that guy's car. I really hope... Oh, these two! <laughs> oh, I forgot they were bloody reindeer. <laughs> Oh my god, he crashed into them. It's a big crash. Because he was paying too much attention to his yoga. Marvelous. <laughs> Airbags. Marvelous. Anyway. That ad goes for another minute and a half. <laughs> In what context was this screened? Was it split up into... It must have been. He'd be watching your episode of The Simpsons on Channel 10 and be like, Oh, stay tuned for the next part of the little grand fucking yoga ad. I think see, what, see what that gorilla gets up to later on. Sorry, we, are you doing Ranger Stacy from Totally Wild? Yeah, that's exactly what I'm doing. <laughs> Coming up next on Totally Wild, the rest of the yoga ad. <laughs> <laughs> no, the show was called Totally Wild. She wasn't in and of herself a beast. <laughs> I will not have you besmirch the fine name of Ranger Stacy like that. Is any of this going in? Wait, are, we, are we allowed to put any of this in? This might be the sting. <laughs> this might be the sting. 